Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Pox and Tasting Studios, this is the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. This is Bullhagen. This is Burke. And this is Vicker. And Peter's here. Hey, Pete. Welcome to the show. Yeah, this is take two. So we got all of our errors out of the way. Yeah, we had some computer issues. Yeah. It's Uh, okay. But we have a producer that not only can produce a podcast, he's pretty good with the the computer thing. So I use computers every now and again. So, uh, (laughs) so as we were saying, I can't believe what happened in that Iowa football game, though. That was crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Eight, eight days ago, that football game was amazing. (laughs) Yeah. And that one play that was really good. I enjoyed all the, the mostly peaceful protests. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And uh, so <laughs> I have to do my speech again, man. We, this is the second time we're doing this. This wasn't funny the first time. And now we're <laughs> doing it again. Um, so to be clear, the reason uh, why it wasn't funny, Peter, is we didn't try hard enough. You're right. We didn't try hard enough. Do you want to do take three? We can do take three. How about that Iowa funny. football game? huh? <laughs> so we're recording this before the Iowa football game. We have entered the season of Advent. And Advent means that the clergy in front of me are very busy. So recording schedule is y- unique for this month. So we're recording decently in advance here. And that might happen for the rest of the month. Well Just said. So well said, Peter. And by the way, if Iowa does wind up stomping Michigan, uh, then what you should be doing is uh, we'll start a Patreon where you can use us to make your bets. Because <laughs> I think they're 23-point underdogs right now. That's insane. I need to get on that action. <laughs> I will put 10 bucks on that one. You know, I've always said this, Peter. I want to get into online gambling. <laughs> That's right. Now's your chance. Except you're in Iowa. I'm in Kansas, so I can do it. So, uh, Burr, you uh, had some time to run back home and get some coffee, huh? I did, yeah. <clears throat> it's a morning it's episode, so I don't, I don't see a lot of whiskey, although... If we had any more computer problems, I think Peter would have had some. So that's yep. correct. So what we are you got guys a, drinking over there. I've got an iced coffee from Costco, cold brew, one hundred percent Colombian. Nice, Vicker. I just had a coffee that I got from the local coffee shop. I I had a coffee anyway. What what, what kind do you get? Uh, you'd have to ask Marissa. I don't remember what okay. it's called. <laughs> he didn't want to tell us. <laughs> He's afraid. It's probably probably some like turtle or something like that. Okay, he some chocolatey, us. you know, half coffee drink or whatever. He didn't want us to use the beta word. I know. I can <laughs> There it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, so man. so we got lots of plan. We should get to it. Berg's been a content machine. He's got. Uh, I told him I would get something together for this show, and he didn't trust me. So he he did. Which is good because I had a funeral and stuff. You did, yeah, uh, I, yes. What's the uh, what's the line from Perks and Rec? It's not that I don't have I don't tr- you know trust Ben. I just don't have faith in him. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, point taken. So what are we preaching on? Are you you're preaching this one? Yeah, yeah. So Vicar? it's it's the gospel according to Saint Luke, the twenty first chapter. Jesus said there will be signs and 
in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable, Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. All right, so uh, I had forgotten this. So uh, do you remember Berg, uh, last year's vicar, having a lot to say about this text? Maybe not. you don't. No, I don't, actually. <laughs> um, I don't remember all the details, but uh, his take was that this, the majority of this and is about the destruction of Jerusalem. Okay. And it's less about the second coming. Okay. I can see how he, where he comes from that. I, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I can see how he gets there. Um, because of this generation. See, my take has always been, been that uh, the fact that the end times is we're in it and the bible talks about the time as being kind of one time the prophets talk about christ coming and bethlehem and the last day is all in their minds almost like the same time or the same event right well in uh, our old testament reading with malachi he talks about the coming of the the great and mighty day of the lord and he uses this judgment language, this last day kind of language. And Jesus then also in our the gospel reading plays on that with the, the coming of the Son of Man. And I, and I think with this context that Jesus is the coming, the Son of Man who has come, when he says this age, he's just talking about the age that we're living in now, which is the day of the Lord, and it will be completed when he returns. Yeah, so I, I should remember all the details because he spent a lot of time thinking about this. And if he, uh, if you're listening, 19.0, you can send us an angry email <laughs> or, or come on and talk to us about us. Help us out here. Any, any thoughts, Berg? Yeah, I was just thinking of maybe some sub points to preach on here. Like, uh, you know, your theme of the sermon could be, or thesis could be, um, you know, what, <clears throat> what do you expect, right? That's a pretty... That's a pretty big one, right? And you can mm -hmm. say, well, what do you expect for unbelievers? And then have perplexity, fear, and then uh, carousing drunkenness and dis dissipation, right? Mm -hmm. But then you could also do the opposite of those things, right? That uh, lifting up your heads, the expectation that summer is now near, being strong uh, to escape all these things, right? Mm -hmm. And so kind of do this parallel thing because... You know, it is that time of year, and I just sent you guys a picture that I think we should put on our Facebook page when we... It's uh, Christmas Eve at, at a grave, and so it's a very dark picture, but really the greatest light that comes is actually from a Christmas tree right next to the headstone, and it's lit with candles, and that really gets us into this Advent theme that, look, the reason that this baby was born was so that men can live forever. This baby is coming and we're preparing for his coming 
because the resurrection is coming. Hmm. Death is the last great enemy to be destroyed. And so we don't have to fear. So we don't have to respond to these events, right? You could even do like one of your sub points could be like, the world is passing away. What doesn't pass away? God's word. How do people face these fears? Well, those who don't believe face it with fear, perplexity, or, and that's really big for this time of year, drunkenness and carousing because it's wintertime. And a lot of people find solace in the bottle. And yet, how do believers react to these things? Well, Lifting up their heads, studying the word of God, which endures forever, and then finally um, and then finally, being strong through and, that and, word to and, stand. And to actually look at those things, because Vicar, I talked a little bit about this, with hope. When yeah. you see, you know, destruction, wars, famines, all these things, it's just a sign and a reminder that Jesus is returning soon. Well, and then look at the image that he uses, right? That when you see the fig tree, you know, budding out, right? You know that summer is now near. Well, this is an image of life, an image of growth, whereas all of the signs in the sun, the moon, and in the earth look like disintegration and dissolution. Mm -hmm. And yet Jesus uses this imagery of life in order to talk about his coming, because that's what's going on here. Um, we when Jesus comes back, we will actually begin a new and more perfect life that will never end. It's kind of like the ending of the, the last battle. It's the last novel of the, of the Narnia series. And it's just a beautiful way that C.S. Lewis talks about that, that, uh, that uh, now they've begun the first chapter in a book that will never, ever end. Hmm. And, you know, I think that's because everyone is, the events in the world are terrible. We see these things. Uh, many of us have experienced death in our families. Um, so what does that look like? How can we still rejoice and prepare for Christmas knowing that death doth pursue me all the way, where that the world is falling apart? Right. And, and well, the f it's supposed to happen. <laughs> and it's a good thing that it's happening because that means our redemption is coming. And, and this, this actually answers also one of the, the <laughs> points that atheists tried to make against their being a god is they say, well, if there is a God, why do these things happen? And lo and behold, what do we have? We have a Bible that's actually honest and says, doesn't sugarcoat things. These things will happen. When you see these things happen, it is a sign of the truth. It is a sign that there is a God who will bring judgment and that our sins are to be answered for. Without Christ, you, you stand and answering it for themselves. In Christ, you, Christ answers with his blood and perfection. And, and so, so this gives us a chance when we see these signs to actually repent, not to look at them as the world does and say, see, there is no God. Because if there was a God, obviously I would not be judged. I would not be treated this way. I wouldn't deserve any of this. Um, and so it's actually takes, addresses kind of modern thought in a way in a modern atheism, because that is one thing I hear over and over again. If you, if you hear uh, people talk against Christianity, why do children get cancer? Or all the things that they, they say is the reason why there isn't a God. The Bible uses it to say, oh, there is a God, and he does judge sin, but he answers it with his son. Vicar, you, as a matter of fact, already have your sermon either written, the modifications that we talked about? Yeah, yeah, I already implemented them. Okay. So what are you actually preaching on? So I kind of want to focus 
the Malachi text and connect it to what Jesus is talking about here. Because what's happening in Malachi is that God is giving this incredible judgment upon his people, right? They've just come out of the Babylonian captivity and they're whining against him. They're they're complaining again. Even the priests are saying, well, where is the God of judgment or where's the God of justice, right? They're calling God a false God. And so what he says is that he he will send his messenger who will proclaim the day of the Lord and he will come to judge the wicked and to to come to his people who still fear the Lord and keep his commandments. Um, but even within this judgment, you see a whole lot of grace happening, right? He sent, he constantly sends his prophets time and time again to, to call them back to himself. And as well, there's a 400 year difference between Malachi and Jesus coming, which, uh, in a sense, is a time of grace as well, because it gives them time to actually think about what's happened, think about what they've done and turn back to God. And even in Jesus' own coming, which uh, in Malachi, we see a picture of immediate judgment with, but uh, Jesus doesn't come immediately to to end the world. He comes as a child. He comes to grow, right? John the Mm -hmm. Baptist comes to proclaim the way of the Lord, constantly giving us this time, this time to uh, turn back to God. And now that he has come and died for our sins, he's left and he will come again, still giving us time and hope for those who have not yet turned to the Lord. So that's kind of what I'm focusing on. So in other words, there's graciousness in him coming soon, but there's also graciousness in waiting. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that'd be a great way. Like, hey, this is why we don't sing Christmas hymns during Advent. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You got to wait. This is why you can't open your presents yet. You got to wait. Yeah. This is why I don't purchase my Christmas presents until Christmas Eve. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. No, no. See, we live out in the rural area, so we don't have Amazon next day delivery. Same day. Usually it takes an extra two or three days. So usually the 21st or the 22nd, that's <laughs> when I really start firing away. <laughs> I'm sure that plan never fails. And by the way, fires. do you know, I, okay, can I, can I get a sidetrack since we're talking about this? Go ahead. Okay. Um, I'm not one who's, I don't like to put together Christmas lists for myself. Uh, Peter's probably. Don't I, don't I know it? I hear you, man. Do you know why? It's, it's, it's kind of, it's weird. It is weird. It's too easy. Right. For well, me. Also gifts are supposed to be like a right. thoughtful thing. And like, if you tell people what you want, it totally dis- destroys the purpose right. of gift giving. All right. Because like I do, I want a 4k UHD projector for my home <laughs> theater. Yes. But I'm, I'm not going to, you know, People can just guess what I want, okay? <laughs> but but no, I really like some of my favorite gifts that I have are when people actually think of what is it that I, because I know I'm weird, mm-hmm. you know, but people going through, I think he would like this because even if I don't, I still like it. I like the thoughts, mm-hmm. you know? The I've thing got- is that you're, you're not allowed to complain when you get something weird that you don't want because it could very well be like a 50-50 of something you would want. Oh, you don't know that. I think I do. Oh, no, no, no. Like, I think I think one of my biggest whiffs is I got you a food dehydrator. Yeah, those things are cool. Yeah, yeah, they are. Did because you? I thought you would enjoy, like, putting in random food and seeing what it would be, like, really dry. <laughs> I, I, I could see that, yes. I yeah. Right? I, yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised I, that's not a segment on this show. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, it's, it's part of it is it took me a long time to try and figure out how I can put my sense of humor in there. Ah. Uh, uh. <laughs> All right. So, so, but my point is, I, I don't know. Maybe it's the, 
maybe it's the narcissist in me, not that I ever am, that uh, kind of wants, it kind of gives me a clue of what people actually think of me. Sure, yeah. I mean, it's kind of a neat study in human nature, right? Right. Well, and the thing right. is, is like how much, like if you need something, most of us are just going to go out and buy it, right? Right. So, I mean, really, this is kind of where even gift giving, I don't mind it, but it's like anything I need we're going to go out and buy. And so well, then it, it just becomes wants and wants are infinite. And like, then you just fill up your house with junk. And and I'm weird this way. Like I'm a random gift giver. I don't need a reason. Like Peter, how many times have I thought, Oh, I think Peter would really like this. And I sent it to you. That's that does happen. <laughs> yeah. Like we, we bought this thing for my, my mom and dad. It was actually the cuts on a, on a pig, you know, like where the, you know, all the different cuts of meat come from. Oh, yeah. I think we just gave it to him because, like, I don't know, because it was, like, a Tuesday. So. Right. Like, I had this little uh, this Bluetooth adapter that I thought was really cool. I'm going to send Peter one. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just sent some former parishioners books on the common service from Emmanuel Press because they were having a, a deal. So it's just like, oh. yeah, this is what you do, right? You just send people yeah. stuff. Well, except for know. Hannah. We're not very good at sending Hannah random spontaneous gifts. Oh, that's so. true. That's true. Mm. Oh, that reminds me. I got to get my edifiers hooked up to my PC. Yeah. Yo, those are also speakers I, I, I got you, right? Out of the blue. I, I thought you'd like yeah. these. <laughs> not that I'm ever impulsive. Never. But anyways, so back to the text. Uh, the reason we kind of talked about this too is you want to kind of talk about process because sometimes when the vicar preaches they like to hear the process of how you went from what kind of one point to the other oh sure yeah so before uh, my first draft of the sermon was instead of focusing <laughs> sort of on on this this uh, grace of the the time that god gives us even even in his judgment right what i did instead was i well for one wanted to focus on the day of the lord because i don't think that's something that we talk about quite enough so i wanted to give a good clear teaching on that but then also i wanted to sort of connect that well christ has then ascended and he will come again but uh, even though he's gone he still comes to us through the means of grace he's you know he's a, he's the one who baptized us he's the one who says take eat he's the one who who forgives us of our sins and so i was making that connection as well. But then after we talked about it, I uh, I nuanced it a little differently. Yeah. Um, well, one thing I, what I think what kind of got me thinking about this is, is everyone, when they hear of the judgment in the last day, right? Everyone, pious Christians that I know, when they hear that, uh, they become fearful and sad and afraid and upset, not for themselves, Mm-hmm. Right? Right. But over the, maybe the family members or close friends who still haven't. Right. Or right. or even church members. That That is one of the most heart, I would say one of the most heartbreaking things as a pastor. Oh, sure. Is is uh, people that you know, confirmation kids that go through confirmation and, and, uh, and going through various things that uh, it, make, it makes you sad and it makes you think about the judgment. In a, in a different way, not not in sadness for ourselves, but uh, just the heartbreak of being a pastor. And that is, I would say, the, continues and will always be the, the greatest heartbreak of a pastor and the heartbreak that every Christian goes to and the heartbreak of the prophets mm-hmm. that they went through. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, maybe in our next episode, talk about contentment a little bit. And, uh, 
and uh, contentment isn't complacent. Mm-hmm. Contentment means you're content in what God gives you, but it's not complacent in the way of being happy with the way everything is in this world. Uh, Jesus was content with his calling, but he wasn't complacent. He was content in his father's will that his father was going to, that everything will be cared for in his plan and his death would bring salvation to the world. But he, if you look at Jesus, it was not a content, a complacent life. It wasn't a happy life. It was content for himself, but not necessarily content when it came to everyone else. He would weep for them. He would clear out the temple. Right. Well, I mean, Jesus even weeps over Jerusalem for their destruction, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you look at that text, that's one reason, one application, because I know many people struggle with that. Many people come and talk to me about that, and many people are worried about it, and many people get very sad when they hear about that judgment, because not for themselves. And Jesus has some strong words of judgment there, and uh, that helps, that aspect that you're bringing out in the sermon helps them, that God is still gracious. And uh, there is graciousness in his waiting, an opportunity for his word to do his work. Uh, any comments on that, Berg? You, you, as a pastor behind the call, you understand what I'm talking about when it comes to like the, the greatest heartaches of being a pastor. Yep, <clears throat> yep. Um, we talk about what is it that causes pastors to lose sleep, <laughs> you know? So, um, but, I, but I think that's not, and I, I, when I talk to you about that, it's not something I would say when I was, a young pastor when I was your age, I really didn't think about uh, because my I had trouble with that nuance of thinking from all those different angles. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes uh, it's really easy as a preacher to be simplified and say, yeah, because being a Christian is complicated. You oh, know, yeah. And, and, it's, and when, when God commands to love him and love others, that is a cross to bear. And... Um, you know, I remember many times as a young preacher thinking just in terms of, you know, you, the listener, whether you, the listener, are going to be in God's kingdom or not. And when, you know, uh, Christians who live by faith understand that quite well, and that is their life. What is it that makes them sad and upset mm-hmm. um, is that. And I would say that that kind of, um, that kind of, Sadness is a godly sadness. That kind of fear is a godly fear, and uh, and we it's good to recognize that. So, all right. <laughs> so there's that. Yeah. All right. I didn't mean to make everyone quiet. <laughs> Dropping knowledge bombs, man. Uh, anything else on the text? Should we move uh, ahead to Berg. What do you want to do? Your top twelve. Twelve. Yeah. Sure. Peter, play the intro. Enough nonsense. It's time for Bullhagen's Top 12. I think the uh, Top 12 continues to be kind of our most enduring uh, segment. Really? Yeah. Well, for Bullhagen, it makes sense because he just has to come up with 12 things. Right. (laughs) Right. It's easy to slap together. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. And AI doesn't care whether I ask for 12 or 14. or. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey Berg, did you hear this? Did you hear this story? I know we're under your top twelve list, but I have ADHD, and I just I have to say things when they come to mind. Do you hear this? What happened to Sports Illustrated? No. Have you heard? No. Peter, have you heard? Nope. So they got they got caught because they were doing online articles <coughs> via AI, 
Mm-hmm. Ah. And and not only did they do that, right? They had AI generated writers with AI generated pictures of those writers huh. and AI generated bios of those writers. So they had fake writers with fake names with fake pictures <laughs> writing fake articles. That's insane. I'm going to write a disputation on AI because I think it would be helpful to really just clarify my own thoughts and what the real, you know, because this it, that's a huge problem with AI right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, I'll, I might do that in a future episode when I get a little bit of time. I mean, we have talked about it a lot already. I did a top 12 listed on already, but apparently it's not true. satisfying enough. You know what we need to do? I, I've said this I'm before. giving you a hard time, Berg. <laughs> <laughs> I said this before, but I think I don't have the, the skill to do it, but we should really try and make a, you know, Lutheran AI. That's the thing you can do is you can make custom AI. Yeah. And I wonder if you can just like feed it the book of Concord and stuff and the Bible and then see if you can. Although I will say this, Peter, we did that once and it's one of my favorite episodes way back when, when 15.0 couldn't be for an episode. Do you remember that? Is your body your worst one to edit? But we had an AI vicar where we just took sound clips. Oh, (laughs) where we took stuff he had said previously and just shoved it into the episode. Right. (laughs) What do you think about that vicar? Oh, (laughs) that was awesome after hannah if you could post on facebook which episode that was that would be great (laughs) all right so i apologize i digress so what is your top 12 list berg so this one is pushing the envelope a little bit because tis the season right certainly um so top 12 sacraments from the apology of the augsburg confession Hmm. okay all right so Uh, uh, okay have i caught have i caught your attention yet you have uh, okay, good. So there's twelve. How are you defining sacraments? Oh, that's a good, good question. Good job, Bullhagen. So, <laughs> what is Melanchthon's definition in Apology 13? He says, if we call sacraments rites which have the command of God and to which the promise of grace has been added, it is easy to decide what are properly sacraments. This is different than the definition that we typically use which Luther uses in the large catechism on the sacrament of the altar. When he says in paragraph 10, it is the word I say which makes and distinguishes the sacrament so that it is not mere bread and wine, but is and is called the body and blood of Christ. For it is said, if the word be joined to the element, it becomes a sacrament. This saying of St. Augustine is so properly and so well put that he has scarcely said anything better. The word must make a sacrament of the element, else it remains a mere element. However, these two definitions are not mutually exclusive because Melanchthon goes on and says this, but just as the word enters the ear in order to strike our heart, so the right itself strikes the eye in order to move the heart. The effect of the word and of the right is the same as it has been well said by Augustine that a sacrament is a visible word because the right is received by the eyes and is, as it were, a picture of the word signifying the same thing as the word. Therefore, the effect of both is the same. So, two different definitions of sacrament, but Melanchthon really focuses more on, I would say, the action or the usage of a thing rather than on the elements and on the word. So, for example, in the Lord's Supper, Luther, in his definition, is going to focus primarily on the bread and the wine, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And the word falling on that, whereas Melanchthon is going to focus more on the action. I would say, this do— 
So it's in the doing of the thing, as opposed to the elements themselves. Everybody with me so far? Yes. All right. So in order to get this top 12 list, I had to make some different categories here. So uh, bear with me. So starting with 12 and 11, sacraments, but not. So All right. Okay. Number number twelve. Number twelve. Confirmation. We have okay. from God the command to teach, but no command to do the confirmation right. And I will talk a little bit more about confirmation and the next one. Number eleven. Extreme unction. This is these two are sacraments according to the Roman Catholic Church. Neither of these have a command from God, as Melanchthon says in the Apology, when he says, Confirmation and extreme unction are rites received from the fathers, which not even the Church requires as necessary to salvation, because they do not have God's command. Therefore, it is not useless to distinguish these rites from the former, which have God's express command and a clear promise of grace. Now, some might argue that James 5, 13-15, talks about is a is a command about extreme unction and those verses are as follows is anyone am- among you suffering let him pray is anyone cheerful let him sing psalms is any among you sick let him call for the elders of the church that is the pastors and let them pray over him anointing him with the oil in the name of the lord and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins he will be forgiven but this has no this is not an express command from god this is what we call descriptive and not prescriptive practice. And second, what actually does the thing? It is the prayer of faith that saves the sick, not the oil itself. Right. Okay, so sacraments but not. That was our first first two. All right. Okay, so now we're moving so, on so to— So we're down to 10 actual sacraments then. Okay, well, we're going to keep moving on. Okay? All right. <laughs> Moving on. To one that you're going to love, okay? The next grouping is called snarky sacraments. All right. Because can I, can I it'd be helpful for me if I, we kind of combine, make new words. So, snackermans. There we go. <laughs> snackermans. There we go. Okay. All right. So, number whoa, whoa, 10. Whoa, 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 wait, 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 let me, I got to do this and we got to be consistent. What was the first, the first grouping? Sacraments, but not? Right. Uh, snack, <laughs> no, snack. Sacraments. Not, not trans. Sacronauts. Sacronauts. Sacrament and apostrophe T. Sacrament. All right. All right. So. I'm sorry. I'm bombing things like I do. So these are the, what did we say they were? Snackermans. Snackermans. Yes. Number 10. Afflictions, which Melanchthon says are even themselves signs to which God has added promises. And we see that in 1 Peter chapter 1. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Christ Jesus, whom, having not seen, you love. Though you do not now see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So, you can see that even afflictions could be, according to this definition, considered sacraments. They are signs to which God has added promises. So, so the, the difference way that I would understand a sacrament normally, and, and we would, is, is where you don't want to necessarily purposely go through times of suffering. I guess I suppose fasting is. But, well, uh, but doesn't Jesus give the express command, you know, if anyone would be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
right? Right. There would be the express command, and the afflictions themselves are signs, not that God hates you, but that you are actually God's son. Okay. Right? That he's testing you, that the Lord chastens the ones whom he loves. So do we practice closed suffering? <laughs> <laughs> close suffering. Yeah, close. Oh, okay. <laughs> Got it. Let me write that close down. Close with D and up, the apostrophe. <laughs> yeah. Closering. Close. <laughs> <laughs> Number nine. Alms could also be reckoned here. So almsgiving, charity, the giving of money, that sort of thing. We see this promise in Luke 6, 33 through 35, where Jesus says, And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. We see the same thing in Second Corinthians, where Paul says that God loves a cheerful giver. Or in Proverbs, that he who, let, he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord. It, the difference would be that now, I think, with this <laughs> snackerment, by the way, we don't really create very many new theological terms, mm-hmm. so we're breaking new ground, right? You should write a dogmatics textbook with all those new uh, th- we, we terms. We should, uh, dear clerical heirs army, let's get these this vernacular out there, snackerments, right? But I would say it's a slippery slope. You got to be careful because... If people are understanding sacraments is as a vehicle by which God gives you salvation, it could easily turn into an almsgiving for the sake of forgiveness, getting the order of what you're talking about wrong. Right. That the that there is anything salvific or grace giving in the almsgiving itself, rather than a, a description of what faith is doing in the life of the Christian. Well, and remember, these are snarkerments. So Melanchthon here is being snarky, right? Okay, yes. Does it, because he's like, okay, Roman Catholics, you say there have to be seven sacraments. Well, what else has God's express promise to it? Okay, yeah. Right? You <laughs> so, can't be snarky. And so we'll actually get into that in number eight. Number eight. Okay, so, and this is prayer. Melanchthon says about this, and of course, I'm going to read it now in my snarkiest voice. Why do we not add prayer, which most truly can be called a sacrament? For it has both God's command and very many promises, and if placed among the sacraments, as though in a more eminent place, it would invite men to pray. So that's how it all starts off, is is, he's being snarky towards them and saying, Mm. look, uh, you say there have to be seven, but if you're going to stick with this definition, then, you know, your your, your first two don't count. Why don't you add all these other things that actually right. have God's command and promise? So that is, and this I love this because this is such systematicians' arguments. Let's make up categories and then argue about them. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I love yeah. it because he's like sticking it in their craw, right? You know, which is great. So is that is that your favorite Melanchthon, the snarky Melanchthon? I I do like snarky Melanchthon. Uh, well, especially because usually he's so ironic, and then he'll do stuff like this when he gets frustrated. Because I mean. Like, that's how we should be reading this. Like, oh, he's he's got like 14 sacraments here. What's No, not really. Come on. No. Like, They're snackerments. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's doing what's called an ad absurdum argument, right? He's pushing the boundaries of his definition to their farthest extreme things, right? Right. So right. That, that's the thing is we're actually starting off here with like the fringe sacraments, 
right? Like the snarky ones. And now we're moving to things that are easier to see as sacraments. Okay. And, and, and of course, the promise here is Matthew 21, you know, Matthew 21, 21 and 22, where Jesus said to them, Surely I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what it was done to that fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer believing, you will receive. That's what we okay. don't typically hear. So, all right. You ready to move on to the next te- category? Next cat. Moving on. Next category. All right. So this is what I call a, a sort of sacraments. Sora. So uh, sortiments. <laughs> sortiments. I like it. <laughs> How about that? Sortiment. Okay. Sac- sacramish. Yeah, sacramish <laughs> would be good. Sacramish. <laughs> sacramish, yeah. Good work. All right. Number seven. Marriage. Melanchthon says about this, Matrimony was not first instituted in the New Testament, but in the beginning, immediately on the creation of the human race. It has, moreover, God's command. It also has also promises. Not indeed properly pertaining to the New Testament, but pertaining rather to the bodily life. Wherefore, if anyone should wish to call it a sacrament, he ought to still to distinguish it from those preceding ones, which are properly signs of the New Testament and testimonies of grace and the remission of sins. So now we're getting closer to what the actual sacraments are here, right? Right. Sacramish. Yeah, sacramish. This then leads us, so if marriage or husband and wife is a sacrament, and that well, is an let, office, let, 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 right? or so let's, let's, sacramish, let's right. right? So it created by God, instituted by God. It has uh, promises uh, attached to it. So And a physical element. <laughs> <laughs> Just had to go there, didn't you? <laughs> All right, so husband and wife. So what other offices were actually created by God? Government. Okay, yep, and that, that's on the list, and? Priestly order? Uh, well, yep, that'll, that's also on the list. I'm thinking for number six. Number six. Motherhood and fatherhood. Oh, oh, yeah. Right? I mean, God has instituted it in the fourth commandment, honor thy father and thy mother. There are particular passages attached to that, right? Promises, yeah. So, in fact, that's the first commandment with promise, right? Mm-hmm. And then that also leads us to number five. Number five. The government, right? Which says, but if marriage will have the name of sacrament for the reason that it is God's command, other states or offices also which have God's command may be called sacraments, as, for example, the magistry or the government. So there is a command uh, there. We see that in Genesis chapter 9 when God establishes the government that if you shed man's blood by man, shall his blood be shed, for man was made in the image of God. We also see in the New Testament that the magistrate is called God's minister or God's servant. Mm -hmm. And also in Psalm 82, we see that great promises are attached to the government because uh, God says there that they are gods, that they actually have Mm -hmm. the authority to bear this godlike office of the sword. So would you would you say that this is kind of like the three that you've given is kind of a horizontal righteous sacrament? Yeah, I mean you could say that all of these. Things I wasn't are going for... there, Vicar. I wasn't going there. I was <laughs> meaning <laughs> temporal. How about that? Temporal. Well, because because you know this two, this two kinds of righteous thing that keeps on getting shoved our way is all about a righteousness 
not necessarily before God, mm-hmm. but before others. That is a righteousness outside of, of the righteousness of Christ. And so this has a an institution instituted by God that doesn't necessarily bring, it brings promise and it brings great uh, blessings from the point of uh, uh, being a blessing that to our lives here on earth, which then also brings blessing to in, in the word of God being preserved, but it isn't necessarily one that brings salvation through the, that mean. Right. So for example, in marriage, you know, that marriage is for this world. In heaven, we, we, we neither marry nor are given in marriage, but we'll be like the angels in heaven, right? Fatherhood and motherhood doesn't save anybody. Um, the government, right? Even though they are gods, at the end of, uh, what is it, Psalm 82, God says, but you will die like men. Why? Because they misused their office and didn't receive yeah, and didn't have faith, right? So they were unjust. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, these would be like earthly sacraments, sacramentish, right? <laughs> Earthlaments. Earthlaments, there you go. So now we're actually going to get into the sacraments proper. Okay. Propermints. Propermints. There we go. <laughs> Number four. Ordination. Oh, interesting. Right? Mm. So what do, mm. so what does Melanchthon say? But if ordination be understood as applying to the ministry of the word, we are not unwilling to call ordination a sacrament. For the ministry of the word has God's command and glorious promises. Romans one sixteen. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Likewise, Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. If ordination be understood in this way, that is, as the ministry of the word, neither will we refuse to call the imposition of hands a sacrament. For the church has the command to appoint ministers, which should be most pleasing to us, because we know that God approves this ministry and is present in the ministry that God will preach and work through men and those who have been chosen by men. And it is of advantage, so far as can be done, to adorn the ministry of the word with every kind of praise against fanatical men who dream that the Holy Ghost is not given through the word, but because of certain preparations of their own, if they sit unoccupied and silent in obscure places, waiting for illumination, as the enthusiasts formerly taught and the Anabaptists now teach. So, okay. yes. And part of the argument that they would have about the sacrament of ordination also would be what is it an ordination from the beginning, right? Right. For, and, you know, Melanchthon goes into that, that ordination is not a Levitical priesthood. There aren't two classes of Christians. Mm-hmm. We do not have another priesthood like, <laughs> like the Levites. And he says in there that the epistle of the Hebrews sufficiently teaches this, right? And the reason why... The way I'm understanding Melanchthon's words is the fact that he he emphasizes ordination to be a ministry of the word. Yep. Whereas in the Roman Church, it was more a ministry of authority, really, and mm. of and of sacrifice. Right. That's right. why. So that's so why he says it's not a Levitical priesthood. Right. So your authority. So the ordination is not. Understood in the sense of you received it from Peter all the way back to you, that the the sacrament of apostolic succession, but more so of the word. Yeah, I mean, you can't say that it's ordination is magic spirit fingers, right? Mm-hmm. Spirit fingers. Or yeah. as one— Spingers. Spingers. Yes, as one— <laughs> 
as one buddy of mine put it, you know, it's not some sort of spiritual or ecclesiastical virus, right? <laughs> right. It's not that, right? It has to do with the preaching of the word. And who actually has this? Well, from what we read, the church has the command to appoint ministers, right? The mm-hmm. gospel always belongs to the church. It's not like what the Roman Catholics teach, where there's the teaching church, that is, the pope, his cardinals, bishops, and the like, and then the hearing church, and what really makes the church the church is the teaching church, as long as you have a priest, you have the church. No, that's not what the scriptures teach, and that's not what we teach. Um, right. We teach that the, the, that the church in and of itself is simply a product of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the word. He has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way, he also calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth. So the church is created by the ministry of the word. And then the church, in turn, clings to that word and lives by that word. And because the church needs that word, she then appoints ministers. Another aspect, part of that is Jesus himself talked about this in Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered in my name, a reference really to the, the church, where um, when it's all, you're talking about the proclamation and hearing the proclamation of forgiveness from Christ and binding and loosing, that is not something an individual can do by themselves. Well, by and nat- I would actually go farther and say when they're by themselves, when there is only a single Christian, he has all that. And in fact, necessity teaches him to preach and teach and the like and people Mm -hmm. will believe it. This is exactly what happens after the death of Stephen. It's not the apostles who go out and create congregations in Rome or in Antioch, Poseidon. It's those 120 who had been scattered or out of the 2,000 that had been scattered after Pentecost. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the thing is like, when you are a Christian, you have the word. All things are yours. And in this way, necessity knows no law. But when there are when there is a group, when there are two or three, then what do those two or three need? They need a preacher, they, right? Mm-hmm. You actually have to appoint someone to do that work. And this is why in the pastoral epistles, what does Paul tell Titus and Timothy to do? Appoint elders in all of these different places. Right. I mean, even when these congregations didn't have pastors— so you can read about it when they send Barnabas on this fact-finding mission to Antioch, right? What does he do? Does he say, oh, well, you know, you're not doing things right? No, he says, continue in what you're doing. It's really quite amazing. It's amazing how free our people really are and how much the gospel belongs to them. It belongs to the church principally and immediately. Right. This is why a pastor just simply can't excommunicate somebody. Mm-hmm. But as Jesus says, who who's the final authority in excommunication? The church, Christ. right? Yeah, Christ through the church. Right. Yeah. So that's the thing is like, tell it to the church, right? Mm-hmm. So, and that's also something I think sometimes we miss when we're talking about confession and absolution, right? Who did Jesus give the keys to? He gave it to his church, right? Mm-hmm. right. He gave it to his church. This is where, where two or three ask anything in my name, I will give it to you. And you actually see this in the old Confession and Absolution rites in Nuremberg, where in part of the exhortation, that verse is actually brought up. Like, okay, Lord, you said wherever two or three are gathered in your name and ask something, 
if you agree about anything on earth, it'll be given to them. Well, we're together here as a congregation. We are agreeing that we are sinners in need of forgiveness. So give it to us as you promised. Right. Which I think is great. Um, yeah. I think that's a great way to, to talk about it. So, And you could say that that's a physical element. So, yeah. So I know you love your physical elements. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Barbells. All right. So now we're going to get to the big three. And these are the three that, that Melanchthon actually for real considers sacraments. So number right, three. Bit, uh, wait, 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 wait. We can't oh. just. Sacrareal. Uh, Realments. The penultimates. <laughs> That's stupid. Wouldn't it just be Hang ultimates? On. Let me look about the Saurus. <laughs> well, uh, ultimate means and. Or we could means... just call them sacraments at this point. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> sacraments. Okay. Why invent, reinvent the wheel? <laughs> Legitimates. Legitimates. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Number three. Absolution, or as Melanchthon calls it, the sacrament of repentance. And this, of course, is found in John 20, 21 through 23. Number two, the Lord's Supper. And of course, there you see it right in the words of institution that this is for the forgiveness of sins. And finally, and number one, holy baptism. And of course, the great promises that are there, Mark 16, 16, who believes and is baptized shall be saved. You see it in Titus 3, 5, the washing of regeneration and rebirth. And in Romans chapter 6, that we are buried with Christ and that we now walk with him in newness of life. Okay. Uh, some, do, you, do you see anything missing in his list, Vicar? Potlucks? No, I think it's uh, pretty expansive. <laughs> now, of course, for the listeners, like there are, depending on your definition, like two and a half or three sacraments, Okay. So the rest of this list, it is what Melanchthon put out. It's interesting to think about and look about and look at because, you know, he's got some real concerns and we do too. So, you know, these are things to think about. And if they have any questions, comments, or concerns, Vicar, where can they get a hold of us? They can email us at feedback at clericalerrors.org. And if you want to email specifically on this topic, you can also email us at Snackerments uh, at snackerments, snacker, yeah. <laughs> snackerments at gmail.com. <laughs> right. <laughs> there it is. So so glad. Feedback at clerical errors. Yeah, they can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash clerical errors. And they can find us on Twitter at, me, bro. at clerical errors P. Yes. Feel free to X us a question. Everybody else got a Patreon. We got a store. But I, I would say the most important thing that I would point out. It seems like a very simple point, but it, how much we screw this up, by we, I mean humans, is how much we like to make up our own sacraments because it feels more meaningful to me mm-hmm. or I am more impressed by certain actions more than another because... <coughs> Confirmation. <coughs> <laughs> right, right. Or... We should go through my list that I wrote for the, uh, that I, that I wrote for the circuit that one time. <laughs> it's true, man. Like people care more about confirmation than they care about the things God actually instituted. Right. Or people are more concerned about the the wedding ceremony than the actual marriage. That never happens. No, ne- that 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 never no, happens. That, no, Not, never seen that never. happen before. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> 
but but my point is though is is everything in your list were commanded by God. Yes. And well, except for the first two, the twelve and eleven. That's true. What do we call those? The sacronauts. Sacronauts. Yes, the yeah. sacronauts. Sacronauts. <laughs> or should we go sacramisant? Because sacronaut almost sounds like astronaut. I like which makes it, it even was, cooler. I thought it was sacrament apostrophe ts. Come on, man. See, <laughs> I just think sacronauts is out of this world. Yep. There. <laughs> It's great. It makes me think so. of it makes me think of what was it Buzz Aldrin right. that had communion on at the space station the sa- sacronaut right. yeah you can read so about that in the missile the <laughs> sacraments the sna- the sacraments the sacramishes and the legitimates all right go. at least at least <laughs> Peter it'll be so easy for you to find a title <laughs> that's right right so uh, go, going back to that because there are things like. Uh, when when there is not an understanding in any kind of the sacraments where it's altar calls or yeah. uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit or speaking in tongues and all sorts of experiential things by which uh, the work of God is in their minds proven. Uh, when all of these really come from the word, except for the sacronauts. Well, and I would say too, some of these things on this list, things like afflictions, by thinking of them in this way, that yeah, there actually is a command from God, and there are promises attached to it. Like, that actually ennobles suffering. Oftentimes, we get a wrong view of suffering, and we think that, well, it's only bad, or that God has forsaken us. This sort of thinking actually ennobles it and says, no, actually, this is proof that God does love me and that I am his son. And I've actually preached, make use of your suffering. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, take that, use your, your suffering as a way of... You know, when you're going through the rite of suffering, right, through the action or what, you know, because that's the thing I like about, um, that's the thing I like about Melanchthon's definition is that it's, it's kind of like a bullhagen. It's always moving, right? (laughs) Whereas the elements and the word, it's kind of inert. And then you got those weird questions about, well, remains after the Lord's Supper and da, 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 da. Yeah. This is where I kind of like this one because it, it adds the element of action. Like you're actually doing the thing, right? Right. So, well, Berg, thank you for that powerful list. Uh, you've taken this top 12 list idea and just run with it. And uh, although I do miss, say, everyone, I miss uh, Berg's bodacious blasphemies. I know. I got to get snarky again. It's hard. Yeah. Yes. So, thank you for listening. <laughs> uh, this is Bullhagen. This is Berg. And this is Vicar. And may your... May your sacronauts be out of this world. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. On Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Airs. See you next time.